This is episode 103 of G.I. Joburg. My name is Steven, and I'm joined by... Paul! And Cujo on the West Coast, who is about 15 minutes into a 100-gram bite of Rice Krispie Treat. So, let the good times roll. <laughs> and today, we are joined by a pen pal of mine, who I've been corresponding with for a number of years. Another guy who really gets it, who found our podcast... His name is Christopher Huff, and he is a fan of many, many eras of G.I. Joe, from 12-inch to Sigma-6, and of course to our beloved 3 and 3 quarter inch Real American Hero. But here's the thing, Chris is blind. So to bring us a new perspective on our hobby altogether, I introduce you to Christopher Huff. Hey Chris. Hey guys. How's it going down there? Fine, <laughs> where, are you, where are you talking to us from? Yeah. I am in uh, Myrtle Beach. That's uh, East Coast, pretty much as far away from Cujo as you can get. Maybe, well, not quite, but almost as close as to South Africa as you can get. <laughs> My goodness. Uh, how old are you, Chris? And uh, I guess since we're bringing uh, blindness forward... Uh, is that something that defines you as a person, or is it just something that happened to you? Um, and, and, and at what age, I suppose? I'm uh, 47 years old. Uh, though I really kind of count myself as 40, because I really feel when Star Wars happened, I became a different person. But that's kind of beside the point. Anyway, uh, I did not go blind until about four years ago. And I went from... Being the sniper on my paintball and airsoft teams, and being a action photographer for paintball events, to not being able to read, to being out what I consider 99% blind. Well, not not to throw us into the deep, but I was kind of hoping to backload this this line of questioning. But, but hey, why not? Like, when you lose, like, a family member or you lose something important, you go through, like, stages, you know? Did you do that same with something more personal that other people couldn't really uh, understand I, outside? I have been there. I've been pretty far down. I mean, a lot of everything I did really was kind of key to eyesight. I mean, the only thing I enjoyed that did it was video books and podcasts. And, you know, like I said, I was paintball, airsoft, photography, um, cosplay. I was in, you know, Star Trek, Star Wars, different sci-fi groups, costuming, props, prop making. I was the quintessential geek, as it were. And, well, probably the first thing I lost was the ability to drive. I couldn't see the lines on the road anymore. But strangely enough, one of the first things that I lost uh, that I really noted was words. You could hand me a piece of paper, and I could see the piece of paper. I could see just about everything in the room, at least as far as I knew. But the paper was just a blank sheet of paper. I couldn't make out a single thing on it. Um, my comic book became blank. What do they attribute it, the, the uh, blindness to? Um, it's to uh, 
retinal degeneration uh, complications to uh, diabetes. Gotcha. But, All right, uh, I, I'm done with the Barbara Walter shit. <laughs> Steven, bring us into the land of G.I. Joe. <laughs> I bet you'd never ask. Chris, it's a long-standing tradition on G.I. Joe Berg. Full <laughs> force. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> but uh, regardless of what your battle cry is... Cobra! Uh, it is a long-standing tradition on G.I. Joburg to get your favorite figure and vehicle. Now, therein lies an interesting conundrum, I guess. Uh, has your tastes in toys changed at all? After losing your sight, I think that, I mean, you can have a favorite from back in the day, but since you are so driven by your tactile sense now, what toys really, really do it for you? Well, um, I pretty much moved back to uh, the 12 inch G.I. Joe uh, scale action figures, toy sideshow. Well, not many of those. They're kind of expensive. But... If you want to call them action figures. <clears throat> dollies. <clears throat> Sorry. I haven't referred to them as dollies in a long time. I like to <laughs> clothes off and putting them on different. And, uh, <laughs> one of the first figures I remember getting was my grandmother got me a uh, Eagle Eyes Brock Tarn G.I. Joe oh, cool. uh, from a yard sale. And that was probably one of the earliest figures I remember having. And then about a birthday later, I got the uh, the big yellow mobile command center. Mm. Ooh, one of my favorites. Uh, oh, it I, isn't Paul? The MCC. No. Yes. Are we talking it's about the 12 uh, inch? The 12 inch. The tw- well, it's something different. It's a mobile support center or something. Oh, sorry. And I'm thinking of the wrong thing. My bad. Uh, this was this was still in 1975 or six or seven, oh, yeah. uh, and this big yellow thing with a, a truck, a four wheel vehicle that and a, with a glass dome that uh, deplugged from a big trailer, and the trailer had a sliding door that opened with maps and satellite readouts and. Uh, it had trays for weapons, and it had a little launcher to launch those weird little propeller things, <laughs> and moving, moving satellite drones and stuff. And uh, I had that. I got the Super Joes with mm. the <laughs> um, flashlight uh, or uh, chest laser harness, <laughs> and uh, then Star Huh? Oh, I was just going to say, this is the bullet head era, is it not? Yes, I think I even had bullet head. Okay. Oh, please carry on with Star Wars talk, though. <laughs> well, that's, uh, yeah, I, I had Star Wars, um, and that started me down the uh, three and three quarter inch route. Although back then, really, you had Star Wars and... Uh, this Fisher Price Adventure people. And and what about Migos? Were were Migos around yet? Oh, I had a lot of Migos, superhero. I had the uh, the Star Trek bridge set. Ooh. 
it was basically this uh, vinyl box with like uh, cardboard, like sealed in like a vinyl slip cover that folded open to reveal the bridge. And one side had a little closet spinner thing that was like a transporter that if you you spin it around, you press the button, and the figure you put in would lock to the rear position where you couldn't see it. Mm. Like you transport that. <laughs> and he'd go to the and final wow. frontier. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> couldn't resist. It had the captain's chair and quick chair and all that. And it came with, like, Kirk, Spock, McCoy, Uhura, Scotty, and a Klingon. Jeez. And that was one set. That's one set, yeah. That's a full set oh, of figures. My goodness. Toy companies yeah. weren't smart back then. They were just just giving it away, man. <laughs> Age of quality. It's a shame that Mego went down, because Mego had the license to... Just about everything. I had Dukes of Hazard. I had Chips. I had uh, Batman and Robin. And what else did I have? I don't know, man. History has repeated itself. Hasbro's now got the license to pretty much everything you'd want in a shared universe. But are they using it? Come on. Come on. Well, you know, I was really kind of... It always bugged me that, like, almost nothing was Star Wars scale. Because mm. then Star Wars happened, and those action figures became pretty much my life. And uh, I pretty much followed them until I didn't get too many of the Return of the Jedi. Because probably by then I was, well, I was about uh, 12 13 at the time, and my <laughs> parents were kind of insisting that I stop playing with toys, but I uh, kind of bought them off, and I, I started picking up G.I. Joe's, and my first G.I. Joe uh, three and three quarter was Breaker, and uh, after that, it, it multiplies. Hmm. Let me pose a question off of that one. Since you met Breaker, and also HCT did, when he was on uh, kind of the he he was uh, kind of saying that you know the culture changes between you know a twelve inch figure and three and three quarter. First time you saw a three and three quarter figure, uh, how, do you remember how you felt about that change? Um, well, by the time I saw the three and three quarter GI Joes, um, I was going, well, this is stupid. An army has a whole a whole bunch of soldiers with Bazooka named, you know, Zap. That doesn't make any sense. They're all codenamed Zap. But, you know, and then I started reading the, you know, you started reading and you started looking at it, you realized that they're individuals. But when I first was looking at it, I thought they were, like, supposed to be generic army men. If you look at the uh, original green shirts, they all pretty much compare to a plastic army if you remember the old plastic army man sure because there was a you know radar a radio guy and a rifleman and a machine gunner and a, a bazooka and a mortar and a radio man uh which is something i didn't realize until actually a few years ago huh. <laughs> you know what i think it's the first time i've made that analogy myself i mean yeah absolutely absolutely they're just green army men each uh, they, they happen to have articulation, but they could just as easily be like molded 
in a pose with their signature gear, uh, which defines them. Amazing. If I have to go through and talk about my favorites, that's tough. I mean, Snake Eyes is my favorite character overall. I'd have a hard sell between Snake Eyes 2 and 3. Hmm. Nice. With, with probably Snake Eyes 2 coming out as my favorite, or as I call them, Ranger Snake Eyes. Why is that? Well, if you, if you follow Dungeons and Dragons at all, you know... Yeah. Um, he came with a scimitar. Huh. Yeah, like, yeah. Exactly, a ninja weapon, and he had a oh, wolf. Falcon, yeah. Or a falcon, yeah. In the days I was learning about weapons, you know, everyone called that a scimitar. And then they later, Dungeons and Dragons corrected itself. But, and then uh, it came with a wolf. Not exactly a very ninja thing. And then, uh... The third one, that was, I thought that was, uh, I really still think the third Snake Eyes was probably supposed to be a different character. Because all his weapons are Chinese weapons. Aha! Yes, you're the first person, other than our little motley crew, to mention that. Yeah. I can think of. Yeah. He, uh, he was very, uh, you know, he had butterfly swords, a three-sectional staff. Um, other than the blowgun and the Uzi, um, he had the, the Chinese Jan sword. Mm-hmm. Um, what know, is a Chinese a, Jan sword? The straight blade. Okay. Jan sword. Jian, yeah. J-I, J, well, maybe I'm pronouncing it wrong. J-I-A-N? No. Jian? It's... It's really, it's really a cultural thing. Like, if it doesn't matter how you pronounce it, uh, pronounce it because it's if you say Jian or Jian or whatever, it's the same thing. So don't worry about pronunciation on it. But yeah, it's a Chinese straight sword. So the kind of sword you typically see used um, in like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Exactly. That's uh, great. Yeah. Great destiny. Yes. But what about and the then, holes, uh, man? What are the holes all about? Just to reduce its weight. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Look cool. With yeah, the orb and, also- and I always thought the orb at the end, there was this movie when I was young called Hawk the Slayer. <laughs> and I think you can probably find it on YouTube. It was a very D&D kind of uh, movie. But uh, Hawk the Slayer had a, a magical sword with a big orb at the end at, uh, on the end of it, too. So I was kind of through that in my continuity as well. You seem pretty wet savvy. Is that your entry point, GI Joe, or or you break with the military, or like is it Hama that brought you in the cartoon, or what? I started with the figures, and I picked up. I think the first GI Joe comic book I bought was eight or nine. What was the one with Scarlet hanging out the helicopter? Nine. Nine. Yeah. Probably about the first one I remember buying. And then I went back and bought a few, you know, back copies of one. But that's where I started. And Hama really hooked me. Hmm. Um, Ironically, between, between, issue nine was not written by Larry Hammer. Did you know? I think I recall that. But, uh, <laughs> see, I, I didn't even really know or care who was writing them. Right. You just started getting that. When you get – you read nine, and that's a cool one. But then you start – you get 10, then then you get uh, 
hard to get to Rio. Mm. And that whole you when you get to that section there, um, if you're not hooked, uh, I, I don't know how you could be a comic book fan. <laughs> <laughs> Seems like now that more people are connected to social media, you find out that like a lot of today's good comic writers were big comma fans. Yep. I'm amazed. I read Jerry Joe pretty much through most of the series. I missed a lot toward the end because well, the art just got so bad. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. G.I. Joe and Transformers and. Right around the Ninja Force time, the art was just so... I couldn't look at it anymore. Yeah, the best word I can use for it is it's very minky. It's like, just, it's very undisciplined. I find it, yeah, it's it's well, it's, it's not rush. It's it's not messy in a cool way. It's messy in a, in a bad way. Around that time, you know, you had Ninja Force, which were probably some of the worst uh, G.I. Joe action figures ever produced. <laughs> you're, you're in dangerous ground right now, brother. I, I love the concept of Ninja Force, but the construction of those figures were terrible. If Would you say it's the play features? Regular, Sorry, man. I, don't, I hate play features. I hate play features. I hate gimmick weapons. You know, if you have a, a you know a missile launched freaking rocket backpack, I'm like, why are you wasting all that plastic? Bring Whoa. the price down five. Bring the price down a dollar and just give me freaking Uzi and a sword. Do do words like Cobra Law make your blood boil or or, or what? Cobra Law didn't bother me so much during my time of uh, GI Joe. My other influence in my life was Dungeons and Dragons. That's a so, weird pairing. By the sounds of it, they are still the two major uh, spheres of your life. I believe you have Dungeons and Dragons uh, meetings on Sundays. They are, yes. And cool, I man. Actually, this summer, I kind of started. I was taking a uh, computer course to get uh, evaluated for a uh, screen reader. Uh, basically, it's an introduction to a program that reads the computer to you hmm. and how to use it, special key codes. And I had to kind of learn how to type again. So I started working on a storyline. I actually have about 30,000 words on a fantasy story written right now. So, But that's besides cool. uh, Good going. Yes, fantasy and G.I. Joe and Ninja were kind of my uh, go-tos throughout the 80s. I did martial arts and classes when I could, but I grew up close to Pittsburgh. I was in a small steel town. So you really didn't have the greatest for a lot of things. You know, I didn't have a comic book store until in my town until I was an adult. Talk about the spinner rack. Uh, <laughs> I think the getting rid of the spinner rack is destroyed comic books. What? How do you get a five-year-old interested in comic books if the only place you can get them is a unique store? Where they're four bucks a piece. And they're bagged. That's a yeah, good call. And that kid, and the thing is that kids get of touching them because everybody in the shop makes them very aware of the fact that, you know, oh, yeah. they are expensive, etc. And, and if you don't have a, a geek parent, 
they're not going to want to go into a comic book store just for their seven, I don't know, when you, from a very young age, four, maybe five years old, probably more likely, I would spend Friday night at my grandparents' house. And Saturday morning, my grandfather would take me downtown to a little market uh, called M&B, and he'd buy his newspapers and buy me some comic books, and we'd go have breakfast somewhere. Oh, cool, man. And even before I was like four and five where I could barely read or where I could read, but the effort was so much I really didn't want to bother. But that's where I started with the comic books. And it's it's something and great how how can you get a generation of kids into comic books like that when there isn't that opportunity for a mundane person to take their son or their grandkid or their daughter, granddaughter, niece, nephew to to a convenience store, pick up some random magazines and go out to lunch or breakfast or or whatever. To have that filled in. To me, it's like the pro- the re- reason why maybe print comics are suffering, whereas superhero movies aren't. Like it's so hard to find an entry point now. That's that's kind of my issue. Like I agree, like a spinner rack would be great, but like you pick up something like, oh, whose book is this? What timeline? No, like I, I don't know. If you start young enough, yeah. Right now, that I would, it's, it's difficult. But if you're five, you don't care. It's cool. This has got Batman kicking the Joker. They don't care who's what's inside almost mm. it, it's got you know a picture of a giant gun floating all, all over, over a bunch of dead transformers yeah you know it's it's a cover you your your kid you might not be able to read it but you're starting to get into that culture i think it's jacoby <clears throat> jacoby and stan lee back in the day they're like one of their big sort of things with comics and and the biggest rule in Marvel was that a comic artist, a penciler, as part of passing your test to be a penciler, you should be able to tell a story without having speech bubbles. Like, you should be able to get a logical progression visually through the through the comic book, and whoever should, it should have the most basic understanding of what's just transpired within the book. And I think that kind of mentality, um, so we've seen that at its most successful in, say, the style issue, for example. Yeah, it's like 21. So, um, Chris, while, while I've got your ear, man, what martial arts did you study, um, if you don't mind my asking? And obviously, no judgment. Any martial arts is, is good to train. Is good, so. My primary, is, uh, as a kid, growing up, was a Burmese art called Bondo, B-A-N-D. Yeah. Yeah. But I've picked up, I've probably, I've been to uh, Chuck Norris schools. I've been uh. to schools. I've been to, I've actually studied jiu-jitsu mm-hmm. under a teacher who's three steps from Hama. A guy I learned from uh, Hayes. Who oh, wow. From, not Hama, but uh, Atsumi. So, you know, I've studied on several different levels, and I've studied fencing, 
the European martial arts, although not what like Silat and stuff. No, like uh, the, the historical. This new stuff about the historical people martial arts. Oh right, okay, yeah. They're like, you know, how do you use? How do the, you know? I, I got attached, hooked up with some friends from the uh, Society for Creative Acronism. Yeah. In some of my college, so I got hooked up with people trying to recreate the actual way they fight on a medieval battlefield. Right, yeah, we have a lot of that going on right now in South Africa, and it's actually become very popular. Yes, it, uh, overall, I believe it's got, become uh, real popular. I've seen a, several YouTube uh, documentaries on the subject, or at least listened to. <laughs> <laughs> so with all that martial artistry, I, I can only uh, throw support behind the handle that I gave you some time ago, Chris. You are the blind master. Ain't no doubt about that. Uh, I, don't, I, I wouldn't be a master, although if I ever do get to go to a G.I. Joe convention again, uh, my costume is going to be the blind master in a way. <laughs> cool, man. Because, well, my problem is I'm a white guy, so I really can't be the blind master. <laughs> but I can be Zartan pretending to be the blind master with his holograms failed. Nice. Uh, that's my thing. I'm, you know, I get the Hawaiian. If you remember that, the Hawaii, I get the Hawaiian shirt and oh, yeah. sandals with the blacks, and do the whole vacationing blind mask it. Except I'll also add the Zartan cow and like some the little patches over the eye and stuff. And so that's how. That way I could even you know I'll have my canes and I'll, you know it'll all kind of fit together. <laughs> When you hear people talking about like GI Joe art and, and you, you you can't see it, uh, how does that work out in your brain? Like, do you see figures doing it? <laughs> like, if somebody's telling a story, uh, how, how do you do that in your mind? Um, you know, I read comics for most of my life up until four or five, you know, years ago. So I pretty much drew up a, you know appropriate images in my mind uh, pretty easily. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, uh, this is an obvious probably yes, but just to hear it your way, they, they talk about senses getting heightened if you lose something else. Is there anything that you have a greater appreciation for sound-wise? Like you're like, oh, I can listen to a Kubrick movie now and get it, like that kind of thing? <laughs> I'm still very early in my rehabilitation to be honest, my vision, like I said, about four years ago, started at legally blind and then relatively slowly slash rapidly, I don't know how I want to consider it, went to zero. So it's like things started slowly disappearing and disappearing, bigger and bigger blind spots in my vision. I also, um, I had a foot amputated, so... I have some other multiple complications we're working on, but, uh, you know, so I'm working slowly on getting my mobility back and getting back in uh, general shape, because right now, I basically describe it as for the last year or so, I've been uh, doing the one-act play, Jabba the Huff. <laughs> <laughs> Who's playing the Salacious Crumb? 
Your dog. <laughs> Probably Stardust. She's the one who always grabs the little things I drop. But. <laughs> <laughs> Outstanding. Uh-huh. My dog since you're since you're an old school, go ahead, go ahead, brother. Have a slave girl or a big pit to store rancor in. So I got to get back into shape. <laughs> yeah, man, we all need some slave girl in our lives. <laughs> Over to you, Curtis. Oh, sorry. Uh, being an old school Star Wars fan, did they they ruined <laughs> Boba Fett, didn't they? Yes. Oh my God. I'm still hoping for a Boba Fett, a post, a post Jedi Boba Fett movie. Yeah, yeah. I, you know what? I would love. You know what? I'm not going to go into it, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad. You're, you're good company to me now. And, and, Guys, and the best, he fell into the, the Sarlacc. He's done. The best director, Tarantino, doing a Fett movie is what I want to see. Well, let's hope he he survives the the winds of change out here. I think it would be cool to see more Boba Fett, but I, I, I've always felt that Boba Fett's strength lies in the fact that we don't know that much about him, uh, much in the way, in the same way that like characters like Snake Eyes, um, we're all like, you know, how Snake Eyes gets a lot of his allure, uh, allure so to speak. And then um, they were supposed to do a video game. Well, not supposed to, they did. They had uh, pretty much completed a video game called uh, All About that had a lot to do with Boba Fett and uh, EA just decided, nope. And they just closed down the whole team that worked on that game. And yeah, so that, I think that was supposed to be our angle. So I wouldn't be surprised if all of that material is going to be reused somehow as a TV show, or if Boba Fett is going to end up being quite a big villain character in the Han Solo TV show or whatever it is. So honestly, the best version of Boba Fett is this pre pre commercialization of him. Like, I'm just gonna remember the dude that was. <laughs> yeah. The dude that fell into the Sarlacc pit after tangling with a blind Han Solo. Let's hear it for blind people everywhere. <laughs> it Boba Fett got it slayed, man. You know, Lucas seemed to have it in for all his cool characters. Yeah, that's uh, a he... weird one. Except for Han Solo. No, Han Solo had it in for himself. <laughs> he was like, I. <laughs> but, uh, you know, you know, he kills Qui Gon, he kills Mace, he kills Boba Fett, he kill, he finally, well, Lucas didn't kill Han, but uh, Han finally dies, which I think was, I was surprised and happy that they did, though I hate to see Han die. I mean, that was probably the best part for the storyline. Although my question is, why in the world would Han Solo and Leia Organa, a man who particularly didn't like Obi-Wan Kenobi, and a woman who never met him, name their son Ben? Hmm. Mm. Yeah, I think there's more into that uh, Leia-Luke kiss uh, kiss situation. My raised father theory? Yeah. Go, Go for it. Kylo. Dun, dun, dun. His Ray's father. Wow. He got started oh. early. Well, Kylo was conceived on Endor. They say that in the Aftermath novels. Hmm. Oh, you're deep. So that means he's at least 30 or 40 
I can't. It's for, it's been forty years since the original Star Wars, so thirty by the time of Force Awakens. So he could have had an affair with someone at the Jedi Academy and never knew about it, and never got her pregnant. If you're deep in it, riddle me this, because I haven't been paying attention. What's the deal with C-3PO's red arm, and why? Why that's pretty important subtext, don't you think? Oh, that red arm was fucking. Um, my original theory was that that's where Leia was hiding her lightsaber. Ooh. But they did a comic book where it was C-3PO met a robot friend who got blown up and sacrificing himself, and C-3PO took that arm and wore it as a memoriam. It's the left arm? I believe it is, but... I'm curious what that droid's name was now. It, it's in the, that, uh, it, it, it's in a comic book. It's in All one right. of the early Star Wars comic books. I'll have to take a look at that one. one. Yeah, a yeah. bunch of droids are, like, sort of surviving this this horrific planet, wasn't it? I mean, they were, they're just being killed one by one by one. 3PO, 3PO and a bunch of other droids. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've read it all before. It's called Droid World, and it was a special issue somewhere mm. around 50 in the original Star Wars series by Marvel. But cool. that's besides the uh, mm. is, is that knowledge still fresh in your mind, or is it dusty, like the old-school Marvel? Oh, I remember some, I, there's stuff I forget and stuff I remember, you know, I hear people going, oh, we want Mara Jade, we want Mara Jade back, and I go, yeah, Mara Jade was just a cheap imitation of Shara Bree. Oh, wow. Who, who was, who was a fellow X-Wing pilot Luke fell in love with, also redheaded, who actually turned out to be an Imperial spy, Mm -hmm. by Darth Vader. Um, and okay. uh, Luke end up, ends up shooting her and being declared a traitor to the Rebellion because they think she was still just an X-Wing pilot, and adventures ensue. Okay, coolest... Uh, t- t- say, say agree or disagree. Coolest Imperial pilot's got to be Baron Fell, right? Whoa, man, I got to... I got to agree with that. I don't think anyone's been cooler than Baird Fell. Okay, what about who are the coolest gangsters from the Dark Horse era? Two of them uh, in Jabba's palace. One of them has red armor. If you know these guys, uh, we're good. The gangsters and red armor. I, I, I did not read a lot of the Dark Horse Star Wars. I read the original stuff like uh, Dark Empire, Dark Empire 2. Oh, so good. And then I started losing track of it because it was, uh, it lost me. The, the, That's uh, fair. That's fair. In that period, um, after Dark Empire 2, um, and a few, none of the other books really seemed to catch me. And I was coming to a point where I was trying to break my comic book addiction. <laughs> this, I mean, that, because that's around, you know, well, that's just before you get the, the gold covers and the platinum covers and the hologram covers and yeah, Marvel's bullshit. <laughs> yeah, 
But uh, so I did not follow a lot of Dark Horse's stuff. Who are you talking about? Oh, have you ever heard of Spiker and Gizman? I remember the name Spiker, but that's uh, a vague. Spiker is my all-time favorite Star Wars character. No question. I I, I still got to stick with uh, my rabbit friend myself. Uh, Jackson. Jackson rocks, man. Yeah, he's dude. That, that Marvel era was so damn wacky. And well, it's it's straightened up. That that early Marvel stuff was so weird. And really, if you read it, Jackson wasn't too bad. Yeah. But you know, if he took off his ears, he could have been just another alien or whatever. Sure. But uh, I remember getting the original Star Wars, like fourteen inch comic book with telling the story of the movie Star Wars and thinking that was all. That was, you know, okay, they did Star Wars the movie. What else could there be? And then I was on vacation here in Myrtle Beach, coincidentally, when I found the Star Wars with Jackson and all those, the the Imitation Jedi, that, that whole series... That, that whole, like, Star Wars is like, you know, numbers, what, 13, 14, somewhere around there? Finding it on a spinner rack. Yeah. <laughs> Back then, if you don't find it on the spinner rack, you didn't know about it. There was no comic book internet news. <laughs> yeah, with, oh. You, like, see a wizard magazine and you're like, oh, shit. Yeah, let me check the listings. <laughs> yeah. I miss Wizard. Wizard was great. Wizard was a great one. I loved Wizard. Wizard was I miss fantastic. Toy Fair. Yeah, I was about to say, Toy Fair was my jam, though. Yeah. <laughs> Twisted Mego Theater was just beautiful. <laughs> uh, I, I did enjoy that. Back to uh, G.I. Joe. Going through favorite vehicles. That is kind of a tough one. I would think probably my the favorite vehicle I had as a kid was the whale. Can't argue with that, man. Mm. Um, I had the I had the original GI Joe base, uh, Vamp, How. I missed the How. One one thing they never reproduced was the How and the Flak. I really they reproduced a, the Flak, but they, not but not really, if you know what I mean. Like. They just basically popped it out with the same mold. It barely held a modern era figure. It barely held the figure it was packaged with, which was uh, for my one. It was Outback. So. Really, I never, I never saw that one. I must, it must have been after I had to give up because I was, uh, like I said, up until you know four years ago when I started going blind, I was still buying GI Joes and. Uh, I was getting more and more into customizing. I was thinking about buying a 3D printer so I could buy, start making my own parts. <laughs> I like how you think, because <laughs> I'm the same. <laughs> and then it just kind of, uh, they're just too small. I mean, I have a whole box of uh, figures upstairs, probably about an army of 30 ninjas. <laughs> White, black, gray. I have uh, the rock. Were they all version one Storm Shadows that you painted? 
No, no, no. <laughs> I, I still might have a couple of those around somewhere. If they're anywhere, they're up north in my family's storage gotcha. shed. But uh, I did paint red storm shadows when I was a kid. And didn't you paint a blue storm shadow? Oh, yeah. Well, I did have... Well, yeah, my nickname in the day was the Blue Ninja. So I have a Blue Ninja figure. Nice. Did he not affiliate to Cobra by being blue? Or did you kind of place him as more of a Ronin? Oh, he was Ronin. He, okay. He was in, uh, I had, like, I think I might have told, I don't know if I told you guys the story chatting or something, but I incorporated just about everything I read or consumed somehow into my G.I. Joe universe storyline. I had huh. robot characters. I had Star Wars characters. I had few Transformers, but they were kind of... I never really got into those because scale. They didn't mm-hmm. scale. I mean, I had... You know, I took... Uh, was it uh, Last Off? Countdown? I think Countdown. Countdown. Uh, and I always thought unhelmeted, he looked like Bruce Wayne. <laughs> so I decided that in the age my character, my, my story was set, that superheroes had become unpopular. And Batman gave up being Batman, but still wanted to help. So he ended up joining the military and becoming part of the G.I. Joe team as this, the astronaut character Countdown. Well, lending his financial support to G.I. Joe's space program. (laughs) (laughs) Outstanding, man. That is pretty imaginative. John Clark and Dingo Chavez from the... uh, Rainbow. Yeah. um, And put them in my characters. Uh, Low Light version one and uh, Tunnel Rat, if you're wondering. Very good. Jeez, that's right. Mm. Hey, uh, Chris, just a quick question. You listen to podcasts on YouTube, or ha- like, what do you usually consume your media on? Apple Podcast app. Gotcha. If you're watching YouTube's like about a random subject, do you just let them keep cycling? I never really watched YouTube randomly. I either went through something, went went there for specific things. Yeah. Or like, I loved. Uh, how it should have ended. Oh, yeah. I've recently been introduced to that. <laughs> and uh, some of the funny things I used to listen to, but I never, you know, I go to YouTube when I want to look up, uh, if I want to share a song on Facebook, I usually go to YouTube to look it up. So it's that because it's, you know, easily cross compatible and everybody can see it. And, or if uh, I want to look up a commercial or, Something weird like that, I usually go to YouTube, but uh, for my podcast, it's usually out of uh, the Apple Podcast app. It's how you found us, right? Hey, hey. Yep, that is correct. You've got me uh, intrigued, Chris, because you and I chatted a little bit uh, in private about how you would integrate all your various universes, and Zartan had actually created this technology that allowed G.I. Joe's to skip into different realities. Is that not so? Yeah, uh, Zartan's pistol. I, for what? some reason, original, 
the original Zartan 1's pistol was some kind of weird-looking ray gun. And I decided that it opened multi-dimensional portals, kind of like uh, Magic Circ uh, of the New Mutants. If you read the New Mutants, uh, the character Magic would open... Yeah, Colossus's sister, Yana. Yeah. And, and be able to transport, skipping through limbo and then transport someplace else. So his gun could open these portals, and that's how he did a lot of his spy work, because he could just open a portal, jump through, be inside the base, steal something, and then teleport back, or, yeah, teleport back out, basically. I don't know if uh, you're aware of the character. You're probably aware of him by name, uh, the character Rick. It's pretty popular nowadays from uh, Rick and Morty. He has that very uh, gun. Oh, really? Yeah. I, I, I've heard of Rick and a lot of people talk about Rick and Morty, but I didn't know he had a gun like that. <laughs> uh-huh. I may have to sue him. <laughs> <laughs> Outstanding. But um, and anyway, but that technology he invented weakened the uh, universal structures, basically. And what I basically did was I used it as kind of this plot device where if I was ever you know, got to a storyline point and I got bored or tied up, the universe would uh, reset itself or, you know, there'd be a quantum quake or a dimensional uh, storm would rip through the universe and reset a lot of things or change things or send characters into different situations. Oh, usually my word. I, I'd go back to... I'd go back to start with one character. Cool. Build up a storyline from one character, you know, meeting a buddy, then finding a vehicle, then... And uh, that was kind of a reoccurring and growing storyline that I often used as a kid. Hearing your imaginative take on something which one might say is as mundane as you know, green shirts versus blue shirts. I mean, you took G.I. Joe and you've created something extremely engrossing and all-encompassing. So you used you used this to sort of tie in all your other toy lines. Yep, or, or the or toys and media. If it was, if it fit with that scale or if I had customized, like I made, uh, you know, I took a Duke, painted his hair, white gray one of his eyes glowing with uh glow in the dark yellow no (laughs) ways wait and put on a armored cover commander arm who did i make cable (laughs) very cool one of my all-time favorites which is probably the the most biggest reason i was happy for the success of the deadpool movie besides the point that it was a good movie that means we're getting cable. Yeah. I was also a big cable fan back in the day. I think I took a short fuse, put him on a snow job body, and uh, spray painted him completely white to make an ice man. Hmm. Um, I can see that working. Nice. Took- you know, I never had the guts to do that kind of custom work. Like, if a character was red already... I would just make him the Flash. 
you know that that was my kind of lazy like reappropriation I, <laughs> I ended up you know i just got braver and braver and started doing more and more nice when i with the toy biz things i used to have uh those toy biz marvel stuff oh they were great <laughs> we've, we've got a whole episode about them <laughs> i used to customize those things like nothing you know i took a mandarin Cut off the arms, put Iron Man arms on it. Jeez, how did you go about doing that? I mean, like that was was that a done thing back in the day? I know by the it time was. toy by the time Wizard magazine came around, they started doing tutorials and stuff and using Sculpey, but like just messing around with your own collection, like ripping off arms and stuff. Damn yep. man, and cool. uh, uh, like I said, I'd written a lot of my own comic book stuff. Um, long form like novel slash short story slash continuous story stuff. Hmm. So I had my own home comic book universe, and I wanted to make characters of them. So I say I want this character, and you know, one of my team was you know he used uh, gauntlets like or bracers that shot grappling hooks. And uh, various other tools or, or weapons out of them. And uh, he had a big, like, uh, cowboy bandana mask. Kind of like, you know how Bishop kind of first appeared with the big, huge bandana? Mm. Except he would wear his as a mask. And uh, that was his design. So... I used that the the Mandarin from that Iron Man series of toys and cut off a set of Iron Man arms back when they had the Iron Man that you could put the chrome armor on. Oh, yeah, yeah that one. Yeah. And uh, cut off some Wolverine claws to make the little barrels for the, uh, the gauntlets that shot, you know, the gauntlet barrels that I had. You know, I'd drawn a sketch of this at one point in time. And, uh, of course, his partner was just a silver ninja. So he was kind of easy. Although I did never find dragon hands for him. Because his partner had, was possessed by magical dragons. And his body slowly turning into a dragon. <laughs> cool. You know, was, I customized as I could. And, you know, I remember... Like I said, my first custom, the first custom I ever really tried was uh, someone had got me a tripwire for a birthday gift, <laughs> and I already had them. So I said, all right, I had uh, the model paint, and I went, okay, I'm going to paint them up, and I had primary black and red, so the colors don't match. But I painted him black and red, and I said, this character is sci-fi, directed energy weapon specialist. Now, this was when Tripwire was first released. Wow. Sci-fi wasn't until... 86. The next... 86, yeah. But, well, three years later, in fact. I guess we know who Hasbro was tapping the phones of back then. <laughs> <laughs> I got... I, t I think I might have chatted the story to someone, but um, I got in so much trouble once when I took uh, 
my Skyhawk, and what else did I? I, I remember doing the Skyhawk specifically, and took my dad's chrome spray paint <laughs> and chromed it. And then, like, what, a couple years later, they released those. <laughs> they chromed all the – what was it? Uh, what was that? Sky Patrol or – Yeah, Patrol, Sky correct. Patrol. Yeah. But I, they did so many things like that. A.K.A. the Tomorrow Man. <laughs> There's one other uh, bit of preeminence that you told me about, Chris, and that was the fact that when you first encountered Storm Shadow, the action figure, the version one, you thought to yourself, this guy's way too cool to be sworn in as a Cobra. He's got to be playing both sides. And the truth came out, man, that Storm Shadow was indeed not uh, bound in blood to Cobra. Hey, Chris. Yes. Growing up in Steel Country, were you uh, playing indoors a lot, like the harsh winters, or did they have you outside running around? <laughs> well, I played indoors a lot, summer and winter with my figures. Usually outside with the figures is a pain in the ass because I had such continuing storylines. I didn't want to take everybody down from their bases and their, you know, I'd set up in my room, you know, the bookshelf became Cobra base and my dresser would become G.I. Joe base and there'd be a big battlefield on, you know, my cupboards or my bed. And that would stay like that for weeks. Where did you sleep, man? I'd, I'd move them a little bit to sleep or maybe sleep on the floor <laughs> sleeping bag or something. Jeez. But, That's dedication. You actually sacrificed your own bed to the battle, and you slept on the floor. Damn, brother. Summers were a lot of uh, guns and manhunts. <laughs> <Hundreds, laughs> teens of kids, you know, 10 on 10, you know, toy guns, chasing each other through everybody's yards and, and houses and the woods, yelling, bang, you're dead, not ah, you miss, and all that fun stuff. <laughs> <laughs> no wonder you got into paintballing, man. Oh, airsoft. Uh, paintball, I did I did uh, laser tag when it came out. <laughs> Didn't we all? How would you uh, describe your tactics on the paintball field? Are you guns blazing, or do you like to work an angle? Oh, I work an angle. I'm a ninja. I sneak around. I go, hey, look, that little rabbit trail through that thicket looks like it might reach around and go up behind their back. Time to do some low crawling. Uh, my my girlfriend Barb would go with me occasionally, and she was kind of just the opposite. And one of the best stories I have is we went to a paintball event, and it's her first time. She doesn't know what she's you know what's up. She's got one of my guns. I'm like, all right, come this way, and I'm you know I'm sneaking and crawling and trying to flank around. I suddenly turn around to say something, and she's gone. <laughs> so I crawl through the woods. I end up getting, like, coming across another guy, like, four feet away from me, doing the same thing in the other direction. And I just, oh, shit, <laughs> light him up. And I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, because that close range, we didn't see each other until real close. 
But anyway, so for the rest of the day, I do not see Barb. All I hear is about this crazy-ass blonde in the tight blue jeans who's charging bases and is nuts. All I hear is guys talking, yeah, this blonde came up, and she goes, what are we shooting at? Guys in that bunker. All right, let's go. Thank you. <laughs> well done. And, oh, she was, she was insane. And it was great. Uh, and I never, you know, he was just like, everybody's talking about this crazy blonde. And everybody's telling me these stories. Like, yeah, she just came up. We're sitting behind this bunker. And this guy's over in the, you know, in the fortress, you know, holding down. And she's like, what are we, what are we waiting for? Uh, well, he's shooting. Well, screw it. Charge. She just lead charges. Outstanding. How'd that relationship go? Is it still ongoing? Oh, yes, it is. Cheers. Ooh. Hi, Barb. Uh, she's at work. She runs uh, a little store called Wolf Creek Gallery here in Myrtle Beach. Native American and Southwestern art artifacts and the such. Mm-hmm. You can find it on Facebook under Wolf Creek Gallery. Ding. Nice. I see what you <laughs> did there. I figured sure. I'd get that. By all means, sir. By all means. Yeah, I, I met her. I worked I worked at the store for a bit, and then I worked as uh, their website manager for a while. And uh, we've pretty much been together ever since. So Nice. Nice, dude. Complimentary styles on the battlefield. Yep. And, and she's she's pretty crazy. She's, uh, you know, she's the kind of person, if, if she sees, you know, uh, some jerk, you know, in a bar being mean to her boyfriend or her girlfriend, she's on it. And if it goes over the line, she's, you know, across the bar in an instant. I'm sure she'd love Twitter. I had this friend when I was doing bar reviews, we have pretty famous motorcycle bike week here every May. And we were going into this biker bar and I, I had a friend with me. I said, wait a minute. I reached back into the car and pulled out a pocket knife and clipped it to my, my belt. I go, should always have a knife. <laughs> and we go in, blah, blah, blah. Then, you know, nice day, blah, blah, blah. Later on, the first time he meets Barb, I can't remember exactly how it came up, but one of the first things she says to him is, here you go, use this. You know you should always carry a knife. <laughs> so she's a... Uh, She's a good woman, dude. That's what she is. Steven, how do we wrap this up G.I. Joe style? Well, talking about G.I. Joe uh, in its various media is one thing. But I think what I'm most intrigued about with our current guest, and in fact, this is a recurring theme for me as well, and that's the enjoyment of our nostalgia. And that is untouchable and it seems i mean to me chris that it's such a rich tapestry that you've got in fact i wouldn't mind you scripting a gi joe rpg i would join you on that adventure anytime buddy i have i have run a gi joe campaign before in the past Ooh, did you ever hear about those gi joe uh role-playing game groups they were yahoo 
uh, groups that basically ran text-based, I, I suppose, email reply style uh, role players. I think I tried to get into some of those, but I never really got hooked into an adventure. There were a handful of really good guys doing it, and then a whole lot of, like, weirdos. <laughs> no <laughs> offense to anyone listening to this podcast who um, might answer to that uh, that terminology. But, like, you know, there were some Steven. dedicated guys, and then there were some people that just were always derailing whatever, whatever cool storylines we were trying to start up. I did a fantasy one, you know, almost proto-internet days. Hmm. Um, or proto web days, you know, where it was just college news groups called Dragon's End that I was in one that was pretty good. And then I did one that was uh, Stargate based a while ago. Well, not a while ago, but about six, seven years ago. But never really was able to get locked into a good online one until, well, this one I'm playing now is with a bunch of guys who uh, moved to a different city. But I played with here in Myrtle Beach for several years. Okay. But maybe we can work something out. We can. Yeah, I'm absolutely all ears <laughs> if if that's what's going down because that's kind of what I miss to be honest. I've always kind of touted myself as the guy who who still plays with his toys. But the truth of the matter is, creating long-standing and long uh, long play um, storylines. That doesn't exist anymore. I mean, as adults, we take the stuff down, we mess around with it, we dust it maybe. <laughs> but as far as actually creating the involved storylines we used to as kids and as early teens, and in fact late teens in my case, and, and early 20-somethings for Rob and I, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we kept the, the the flame burning very long after most people had, had extinguished theirs. One of the most, uh, worst things that happened to me recently. Okay. Uh, we had a friend of ours come in to help with me being a recent amp when they amputated my foot mm-hmm. and she moved in and in my private room or my office or my playroom, whatever you want to call it, <laughs> she just decided I'm going to put all this stuff away. We're going to kill the bitch active battle scenes across the whole room across you know i had this kind of computer desk bridge to a standalone desk uh, wrapped around the wall like a whole wall all the tabletop was a, a huge battle scene quick question where was uh firefly on that battle scene uh where was firefly firefly <laughs> he was in the slave one you know, he, was he, was, uh, he was chasing a group of Joes in the the Rhino. Mm. The Alaskan fox. Which, which I was actually referring to as the mobile bat cave because I had a custom Batman running it. And uh, the Batman had rescued a number of stranded G.I. Joes. And Firefly and the Dreadnoughts had been chasing them. I had told that part of the story. Terrific. So as late as that, uh, Chris, you are a shining example to us all. Play with your toys. Oh, Listeners absolutely. of G.I. Joe Berg. 
<laughs> I think I have one G.I. Joe currently not opened, and that is an extra Shadow Hunter. A friend of mine got me for a birthday. And Shadow so Tracker. I, Sorry, man. Shadow well, those are very sought after at the moment, so keep it very yeah, close to your hearts. Mm. Maybe I need to get that on eBay. I need to... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll be the one bidding for it. <laughs> the uh, Collectors Club is putting out a figure this year called uh, Chaos. Have somebody grab you one of those, dude. Yeah, but do you know where Chaos is from? Like, do you have any idea? No. Education. Okay, so I can't give you the best of education, but he's just in the background of a panel in the, in the comic book. He's like, uh, there's a whole bunch of dreadnoughts and... I thought that was I a joke. No. Yeah, that's what he is. He's one of those dudes. It's like I saw something recently on the Green Shirts Facebook page, and uh, I had to laugh because I think they call I, I can't I think they call him Manny or something like that or Manuel or something. Anyway, basically in the GI Joe animated series, there is always one Cobra Trooper, specifically one guy that always manages to deliver the final blow. Like he's the one who knocks Duke out. He's the one who knocks Scarlet out. You know. He's always that dude. Like, everybody's, like, tussling with the hero, and then this guy just comes out of nowhere and just goes, bunk, or does, like, like a chop, you know? He, like, does the chop. <laughs> and to me, I'm, like, I'm, like, surprised that they've never done anything with that figure. And then I actually saw green, the green shirts pointed him out, and I was like, oh, cool, he's got, like, a name and everything that they've given him, you know? <laughs> so it's, it's really cool. It's, like, this fearless Cobra Trooper, the one who just doesn't take any shit. <laughs> I'm thinking... Yeah. I don't know about, you know, I'm waiting for, you know, I'm I'm in the club on the 12-inch side, though, and I'm not really happy with what I hear the next 12-inch figure is going to be, though. Did the uh, uh, Esoteric Explorer do anything for you? I want to buy him. <laughs> I have not been able to afford him. Oh, man, that, uh, um, that sounds right up my alley, needless to say. Um, <laughs> but I haven't been able to really since this summer, been able to scrape the extra money either to get him or just the adventure pack, his adventure pack. Mm -hmm. But uh, I'm hoping for Christmas I can get the money, extra money together to order it. And as a collector and with somebody that is like sight impaired and, and all that, what would you want from a collectible? Like what kind of thing would make collectible items more accessible to you like I said, I preferred the three to four inch scale for the longest time, mm -hmm. but I always dabbled in the the twelve inch scale as well uh, because that's what I, you know my four year old self remembers. And then uh, just before Phantom Menace came out, so the late nineties, there was a big twelve inch resurgence, and I was big into that. Basically, once I you know, realized that. I'm losing my sight and I can't do the three, three and three quarter, four inch scale anymore. I just resigned that. Well, I'll just buy a couple 12 inch. The 12 inch scale provides a higher tactile experience. Mm -hmm. Even if it's uh, a simple plastic figure, mm. like uh, what, do the, what does the black series do for you? Um, you know, I have, I have, I have a Han Solo, and I fooled around with him and wondered uh, if I could collect these and be happy with them. And 
I just don't think so. I, I mm. you know, if I didn't know that I have one, I have one Black Series figure and it's Han Solo, I might not know that's Han Solo. Okay, I, I hear but you. If it were a stormtrooper or someone, a rebel trooper, you gotta or, get a Boba Fett, dude. I, I, you know, I thought about it, but I, I put it off. I have, uh, I don't have a Boba Fett right now. I have a Django here. That's the 12 inch from the uh, Attack of the Clones, 12 inch series. And there's some nice sideshow 12 inch sets, but. You're clearly a figure guy over a vehicle guy because my first thought, you know, if I was to lose my sight, I would really hold the vehicles that much more near and dear to my heart, you know. And this, this I suppose, speaks to my peculiar interest in G.I. Joe, but particularly the jets. I mean, they are just I have beautiful to, uh, to behold and to be held. Mm. Um, I I've had to start buying uh, Titanium Series Star uh, oh. Wars vehicles because I don't know what any of the vehicles in exactly looked like in Force Awakens or Rogue One. Mm-hmm. So I get uh, the Titanium figures to try to, to, to kind of suss that out. Oh, but they're not particularly intriguing on the touch. I mean, I think to the, the, like the, the First Order dropship... I mean, it is mm. the most dull Star Wars design ever, and I think of like the little like speeder vehicles that uh, that were on um, uh, the Starkiller base. Oh, uh, Starkiller base, yeah. They were supposed to be in an extended sequence, but they, they 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 ditched it last minute, so you saw them rather tangentially. But it didn't stop them from making toys. Uh, oh, really? For your sort of first order snowtroopers to ride, and also just uninspired designs, man. Yeah, I haven't. Uh, like I said, I've got like uh, the Force Awakens ones didn't seem that great. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I like the, the change to the Star Destroyer. Oh right, uh, I still haven't. I mean, I I'm able to look at the thing, and I still haven't figured out like what it looks like relative to a regular Star Destroyer. Is it much bigger? Power. No tower. I don't know how much bigger it is. I haven't read anything about scales. No tower, and it's sort of got like a tiered upper and lower deck, I think, like the, the surface of it. Uh, yeah, it's a little bit I more up an image. And, and lowered as mm. opposed to the, the, the more monolithic old ones. Yeah. I don't think anybody's done any tech manuals or anything like that mm. for the new Star Wars or the um, I think Dorling Kindersley definitely put mm. out uh, a slew of books. Yeah, oh, really? I was going to say, they were out they're of the always, gate. With... They'll always be out there. <laughs> There's even one for Rogue One that I've seen now as well. All right. Uh, yeah. Like the uh, the visual guides, they don't have And me. the incredible cross-sections. Oh, Seems I like they're too, I miss too those cash shows. cows. Oh. Hmm? <laughs> you I don't dig. No, he misses them. He... Oh, yeah. you missed it. Oh, sorry, man. I I, I <laughs> spoke over you there. Oh man, yeah. No, the 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 artwork on those are just spectacular. I no, yeah. I have eye on. If I can save up enough money, there is a one six scale Bradley infantry fighting infantry vehicle, mm-hmm. and it, it shows up on eBay every once in a while for about three to four hundred dollars. 
Okay, that's actually not bad, to be fair. Uh, I, that's why I'm surprised. Now, I, I'm also interested in the Batman Tumblr, but that usually goes for near a thousand or more. So yeah, but I've and yeah. what I've heard about it hasn't been very good. Oh really? I've heard a lot of, yeah, I've heard a lot of people say that it's very fragile for its size. I've got a friend who collects uh, hot toy stuff, and he is no, he's not afraid of dropping big money on something like that. And he was put off by it. He actually said to me, like, no, there's a lot of things that he doesn't like about it. It seems uh, very fragile to him and, and all that kind of stuff. So I managed to get the first hot toy I got was the Dark Knight Batman. Oh, with the with the base. With the, the base and um, Just, it's got, like, slides and all that. It was back before hot toys went legit. Oh, okay. That made them legit because they did such a good job on it that they kind of started getting licenses after that. Yeah, and, okay, I know what you're talking about, yeah. And uh, I got lucky, and the, my comic book uh, store owner bought some guy's collection and took it in on trade and offered me a sweetheart deal for it. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's probably the prize part of my collection, so a bat pod or a tumbler would really be nice, but... Yeah, yeah, I don't see those in my budget range unless I hit the lottery. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The big vehicles, uh, I've always shied away from. Forget Jeez. that. I mean, they've, they've done one to six scale Star Wars vehicles, hey? They, there's oh, a, yeah, a the, the first yeah, order yeah, TIE Fighter uh, springs to mind yeah. for the Black Series. Yeah. But yeah. on the subject of Batmobiles, uh, are you guys aware of Mattel's recent um, remote control Batmobile for Justice League? Holy shit. No. Is it cool? Well, okay, it's it's RC, and it has a little camera inside the cockpit mounted behind the figure. It accepts a six-inch um, Batman figure who has oh, really wow. floppy arms so that you can put them on the steering wheel, and the steering wheel actually turns as the, as the wheels turn. So his arms, you know, his, you can place his arms on the steering wheel, and his arms will move freely. But what's more is... You can, because it works with your mobile device, you know, you can activate the internal camera and sort of see an over-the-shoulder view from Batman's perspective as this thing rides around underneath, uh, you know, underneath real cars and <laughs> through the neighborhood. And it puts on a little visual effect. And, and okay, I don't know where you guys uh, sit on, on, on the subject of Batman using guns and rockets, but the, there's a visual effect that... Um, that uh, as you activate the guns and rockets that the uh, Justice League era Batmobile packs, it kind uh -huh. of animates it on your screen. Like, <laughs> I mean, uh, that's pretty cool. It's got sound effects. I mean, it's just, it's everything you could possibly want from a RC Batmobile. It does it all. Well, you know, in... in uh... That is super cool. Also, out of our budgets, gents, so uh, just enjoy the YouTube video and uh, video review that's uh, popped up and uh, and be done with it. <laughs> what is it, like two grand? Three grand? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. A little bit more. Probably about three. $200, $250, something like that. Uh. <laughs> that's not too bad. <laughs> Pathetic. Don't bother to unpack. You ain't staying here long. Care to try it again? My way? As my blind ninja master used to say. 
The keenest eye is that which looks inward. See what I mean? Chris, any parting shots for you, man? I know that we could just... We could talk until uh, the sun sets in the, in the United States because it is long set <laughs> over Africa, I'm afraid. No, man, I'm, having, I'm glad to talk to you guys. I think uh, it's been we a We should do this again, buddy. Absolutely. Yeah. I have lots of free time. <laughs> <laughs> we'll start cooking up a G.I. Joe RPG and maybe like we that. can li- live play it on a podcast or hell maybe even a a live youtube uh, broadcast wouldn't that be fun we could try i don't know how we'd <laughs> all work on youtube but uh... i don't know i'm just throwing it out there we could work out the logistics later but man i want to tap into some of that imagination of yours anyways guys this has been episode 103 featuring chris huff the blind master go with peace <laughs> <laughs> anybody else got any parting shots Kujo we haven't heard from you in Yonks we've lost you brother we lost you to the Rice Krispies uh, treats it's, it's been a pleasure talking to Chris the Tomorrow Man there's two things I'd like to do one of the things is you uh, you mentioned earlier tactile figures and it's something I just had to drop in those Jumbo G.I. Joes I believe they are $100 or so um, they got Snake Eyes, they've got Rock and Roll, I think they've also got Breaker, and they've got Stalker. So yeah, so there's something to look into, Chris. And then mm-hmm. another thing, the new Wolfenstein video game, um, there's the Collector's Edition, and the Collector's Edition is a mock-up of the old uh, Adventure Team-style G.I. Joe, but the whole joke of it is that in Wolfenstein, the Nazis have won, and they've taken over America. So essentially, you've got this figure that Instead of it being G.I. Joe, a real American hero, or G.I. Joe, the action man, it's um, Elite Hans, you know. And and the figure that you get with the collector's edition is the is the main character from the video game itself, and he's the big bad guy. So it's like Terribly, the enemy, you know, kind of thing. So um, maybe get your hands on that because it's very old school G.I. Joe. It comes with five weapons, a jacket. It's got two jackets, two removable jackets, should I say, and a dagger. Oh, no, a hatchet. And it's well worth it. I'm, I'm sure you can pick it up for about $70 if you uh, ask around. Yeah, man. I'm going to walk around for that. <laughs> I remember playing when it was a, two, a 2D game on my Apple IIc. So. Yep. And the new Wolfenstein is a gem. It's a true beauty of a game. So totally worth it. So. Uh, Outstanding, gentlemen. Cool. Yeah, that's me. That's Paul signing off for tonight as well. (laughs) Thanks for listening, everybody, and goodbye. Yo, Joe. Cobra! (laughs) 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 (laughs)